On this episode of Tag Talks Business, I have the pleasure of speaking with Donna Feneff, President and Lead Design Principal with Via Design in downtown Norfolk. And we are sitting here today in the Essex Building, uh, which I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, was built in 1910? That's correct, yes. Beautiful building, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But uh, before we do, can you give our listeners a little bit of an introduction about yourself and, and your career? Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually a Hampton Roads resident. I um, grew up on the Norfolk side of Chesapeake and graduated from Indian River High School. And um, from there, I uh, actually went off to college to East Carolina as a uh, thinking I would be a musician for the rest of my life and oh, wow. entered, entered into uh, the music school at, at East Carolina University in uh, North Carolina. And um, interestingly enough, given that music was the most dominant element in my life as a, as a young person, um, I got at school and I started to realize that maybe music wasn't what I needed an actual degree in to um, continue with for the rest of my life, but that I love the arts in general in, yeah. in so many ways. And, um, you know, I had always been one to um, make things out of something that uh, repurposing repurposing oh, okay. things around the house, drawing, cutting, and just um, manipulating all kinds of material, um, be it sculpture or in um, uh, drawing medium. And I just decided that perhaps architecture would be a better path for me, not knowing exactly what architects do and what architecture <laughs> is really all about. It yeah. just seemed like it might be a good home for me. And um, I'll never forget the day that I had to uh, confront my parents and inform them that I was thinking of changing degrees in my first year of college because I felt that I would um, take the wrath that no one would ever forget for this. But yeah. um, super interesting. Parents are, are magical in so many ways in that the, uh, the, by the time I had sort of mustered the strength and the um, ability to sit down and have that chat with them, uh, they never skipped a beat. They wow. just sat there and looked at me and they said, that's great. We always wow. knew this. <laughs> that's awesome. So they just um, afforded me the luxury to do the research and uh, accepted the idea and gave me that freedom to look into um, the architecture school at Virginia Tech. Okay. And, go Hokies. Um, go Hokies, yes. you bet. Yeah, we've got another Hokie here in the room. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. So we, um, we organized a trip to the College of um, the, the College of Architecture and we went to the School of Admissions yeah. and uh, met with the um, admissions dean and sat down and had that chat and tried to figure out how could I come in um, to the program, you know, after having started college for a year. Yeah. And so this was back in 1978, of course. So things yeah. were very different in terms of the way universities and colleges ran. And, and um, uh, But I'll just never forget the moment when we walked into the architecture building itself uh, on the campus of Virginia Tech. I just looked around and I knew immediately that I had found my home. Yeah. So at, um, a really fortunate one that at a very early age, um, the age of 19, I guess it was at that yeah. point, uh, 18, 19, that um, I knew that I had found my home and that this would be it. And there was That's no looking great. back. And uh, since then, there hasn't been any looking back. It's That's just wonderful. been looking forward. Did you have that, that kind of natural artistic ability or was it more the, 
the the nuts and bolts and the and the the, the numbers portion of it that was, that was more what you saw in all of that. Yeah, uh, actually both. Yeah. Both. Yeah. Uh, yeah I have. Um, I just realized really, really young that I had the ability to imagine um, things yeah. and then um, sort of see them before they really exist. Yeah. And then the ability to um, put them on paper, be it in drawing form, or to craft them with uh, cut, cut board and paper and glue and scissors, you know, things yeah. as simple tools as that. But additionally, uh, math is one of my favorite subjects and I just love numbers. Wow. Not because of just manipulation of numbers, but because numbers um, define space in so many ways in yeah. terms of the, uh, the, the rhythm of numbers and how they move. And so when I look at a number, I don't just see a one or a five or an eight. I see divisions of space that make up that number. Yeah. So it's a very interesting way in which my brain works. So. <laughs> What was the transition for you to go from simply being an architect and, and being good at your profession to, to wanting to actually start your own business? Because I, I've talked to so many entrepreneurs over the years that, that they're really good at what they love or what they do that doesn't necessarily always make them a great business owner or entrepreneur. So how did your transition happen from that standpoint? Yeah, that's a great, great question. Um, again, I think I had a little bit of an unusual start in my career, which uh, provided a spark and an energy and an insight into the possibilities of the profession that maybe many folks don't ever have the opportunity to have. And that was uh, when I was at, at school at Virginia Tech um, and coming into my fifth year, my thesis year, uh, my professors had asked if I would be interested in a job in Switzerland, that oh, wow. they had um, a colleague friend who had a small practice over there in Basel, Switzerland, and would I be interested in going uh, as an intern? And of course, you don't turn down invites <laughs> like that. So, yeah. so I um, completed my, uh, my thesis work early and graduated from tech early in the fifth year and okay. uh, never, didn't attend my graduation and left and went to Switzerland to take wow. this, this job offer. And so. Um, that was my first segue and uh, exposure to actually working in the profession. Yeah. And of course, um, you can't stay in Switzerland unless you marry somebody. It's a closed citizenship country. Oh, wow. So okay. my time was limited there. It was yeah. just under a year. Okay. And um, upon returning um, to this country, uh, you know, I took a, took a job here in Norfolk uh, with a very old established firm. And uh, it was actually uh, Williamson Taswell, who we'll talk a little bit more yeah. about that and some of those influences later on, worked with Brad Taswell. And um, so, you know, U.S. firms, particularly, we're, again, we're going back into the early 80s here, yeah. very different than the Swiss experience firm. Ah. And so I worked at Williamson Taswell for a little while and then um, worked in a, another firm here locally for a couple of years. And, and after that first five, six-ish years of um, entry into the profession, I just thought to myself, you know, I'd really like to get back to the spirit and the roots of um, design theory and approach that yeah. I was exposed to in Switzerland. Okay. And I knew that I wasn't going to get that in the firm firms that I was working in at that time. So I just... Um, I'll, I'll call it not really knowing better, and <laughs> not knowing better and not knowing what I was doing, just yeah. took the leap. 
Wow. The, and um, I had established a couple relationships with uh, some clients um, while working in other offices yeah. and um, had actually had the benefit of experiencing what is it like to um, find your own client and then work on that work. Oh, gotcha. So I had, again, sort of very early on and exceptionally uniquely um, tasted what, what it's like to win a client, yeah. you know, to smell the work, win the work, and then be able to do the work. That's, that's a That's a process that not many architects actually um, yeah. ever uh, are involved in. Okay. You know? So um, I had that entrepreneurial spirit down yeah. inside and just didn't really know it. <laughs> <laughs> but then I started to put it all together and, yeah. and realized that, you know, I, I can see the work opportunities before they really exist. Yeah. And I can approach the individuals or the company or whatever the form is yeah. of that opportunity and start to talk to them about it and help them to start to um, imagine how can they make this happen yeah. and that um, that through you know my abilities and leveraging my skills that I can help them make it happen that's awesome and um, so that's you know that's a super exciting phase in our profession when you can um, make that early connection with any contractor yeah. any client or contract relationship it's it's really incredible yeah. so um, yeah I was an entrepreneur very early very early on but um, just love the idea of winning work yeah because I'm super competitive <laughs> it all goes together that's wonderful well <clears throat> and you've got some um, some wonderful projects both past and current that, that I think a lot of our listeners know very well especially within the Norfolk community um, the one in, in speaking with Rachel before the podcast that, that has always come to mind for me are the Rotunda yes. uh, loss um, to watch that transition I guess now what almost 15 20 years ago that's right um, to see that transition happen and, and and because it's in the location it is you basically can't come to Norfolk and not see it at least if you're gonna come downtown that's right. um, so can you talk a little bit about some of those signature projects that you have done over the years maybe some of your favorites or um, maybe some of the most challenging uh, and just kind of give our listeners a little bit of, of an idea of kind of how some of those projects have come about. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I will start with the Rotunda. It's yeah. a great one. I think um, so many folks in our community are familiar with that building. Yeah. They just don't know that I'm tied to it necessarily, <laughs> you know, because you just see the, you see the structure and you yeah. see its impact in the setting and you think, oh, that's really, that's really interesting or beautiful or uh, what a nice transformation, yeah. but, but you don't know who's attached to it. Uh, but yes, the, the owners of, uh, developers of the building approached me and thought that um, they knew that the way the building used to look prior, yeah. that this building was going to need a special effort and a special uh, muscle on it to um, bring it to this new place that they were imagining. And they did have great vision and great foresight and, and really wanted um, some design talent, you know, to, to help them get there. Yeah. So that's why they gave me the call and um, made the ask. And of course, uh, I jumped on that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so timing is everything. Yeah. I love the the um, the most recent Daniel Pink book called Win, W H E N. It is a fantastic read, and I can't tell you how true that rings to 
um, so many of the moments that have been um, game changers in my life. Yeah. And um, the, the Rotunda is one of them. You know, That's great cool. people with a great vision that uh, wanted to take basically what was considered an eyesore yeah. here in the middle of our newly redeveloped downtown. The mall had been complete not too long ago, and yeah. then here sits this super ugly, outdated, and derelict building yeah. that the, um, the city officials wanted to basically tear down and get out of view. Yeah. And um, these folks wanted to just have fun and see what they could do with it. So yeah. that's what it was all about, taking an uh, eyesore and transforming it into an icon. Yeah. And I think, I think they've done really well with that project. Absolutely, yeah. It, yeah. it would almost seem weird anymore not to have it as part of our downtown. Yeah, it, you're, just, you're it true. It wouldn't seem the right anymore. It's so true. So, yeah. um, and there are not many opportunities where architects get to work on round buildings. <laughs> yeah, this is the, <laughs> Uh, especially round in which you're living in them too. That's right. Uh, I've actually had a few friends that have actually gotten to live in those and, and they said it's the uniqueness of the space is, uh, is worth so much mm -hmm. from the standpoint of, of just getting to experience that um, yes. combined with the environment obviously that they're living in as well just because it is downtown right. um, and so close to everything. Um, are there any current projects that you're working on that you're particularly excited about? Oh, absolutely. Um, we, um, we have been so blessed with uh, the opportunity to work on the Chrysler Hall uh, um. renovations project, which um, such, such a beautiful, elegant building, you yes. know, that, that building and the whole plaza, the scope and the plaza and the parking and the Chrysler Hall complex were all constructed in um, 1972. And the architect for that uh, was Luigi Nervi, who is okay. a Italian architect located in Rome and um, he had constructed a similar building to that of scope it's called the Della yeah. Sporta okay. and uh, located right in the epicenter of you know downtown Rome if yeah. you will and um, the city of Norfolk contacted him to develop an arena similar oh, here wow. so um, but what came forward was the scope arena the plaza and the Chrysler Hall complex. Yeah. So now with that whole complex coming into its 50th year here yeah. very soon, um, the city very much wants to uh, breathe a new life into it, freshen yeah. it up, improve some of the elements in it that don't function very well anymore for mm -hmm. modern day theater and Broadway performances. And okay. you know, we have different, different scales of users there. You have the symphony who has one one level of use need and yeah. has a very specific audience and acoustical quality need. Mm -hmm. And then you have the Broadway folks that come with their big amplifications and fill the house. And you know, so it's small and big yeah. uh, groups that use this. And I think the building is very much loved um, by our community and by many of the um, shows that travel and come here. Yeah. And, um, but it is in need of a lot of care yeah. and, and change. And so, again, um, I think that's why we were selected because being a local firm, very um, invested in our community, um, as you can see in the building that we're in here today, yeah. um, that we understand how to take old structures and make them fresh and new and, and work well for their original purpose or a new purpose. Yeah. You know, we do both. And in this case, it's to continue its life for its original purpose. But coming upon its 50 years, um, the, um, the building will qualify for historic tax credits, ah, of which okay. will be a great benefit 
to the funding process for for the overall cost of this project. Yeah. And so, um, just super excited about that. Wow. We will be changing what's called the continental seating that's in Chrysler Hall. Okay. Anyone who's been there for a performance oh, yeah. knows all too well what you have to do at an intermission <laughs> or in the middle when it's not an intermission um, to get up and, and take a break. Yeah. Uh, you have to go across 30, 40 people to yeah. get out of the aisle and, and out into the, the common area. And so we're going to correct that by inserting um, center aisles and cross aisles oh. so that it'll be more like a, a modern theater seating yeah. style and much more friendly to people coming and wow. going. We'll be uh, improving the handicap accessibility to the building okay. all the way from the street curb um, through um, all the common spaces, all the restrooms, and then all of and, and increasing the number of handicap seating opportunities oh, wow. as well, okay. which is a really big need in a building like this. Yeah. Um, and then as well for the, um, the performers. So you have the patrons that frequent the building, but you also have the performers and they have their special needs. So yeah. we're completely reworking the front of the house and wow. the back of the house. Wow. And uh, while the building will look very much the same as it looks today, yeah. it, we are changing some elements on the envelope of the building okay. uh, and working within the historic tax credit guidelines because there are a lot of regulations and restrictions that come with what you can and cannot do to these buildings if you're yeah. going to receive the benefit of the funding. Um, but um, the back of the house is going to have a lot of transformation in it because it's less in view of the public and you have a lot more freedom. And oh, so okay. it's going to function a lot better for the road shows and enhance the business component of, uh, nice. of how Chrysler Hall actually runs yeah. and oh, produces income. You know, that's so. wonderful, wow. Um, and speaking of, of historic places, we, we mentioned this right at the open, but um, I, I mean, I, I can't, I can't speak to you in the space without bringing up the Essex. Yeah, um, right. This is a, just an absolutely beautiful building. As we mentioned, it was built in 1910. Um, and, and just sitting in here and speaking with you and getting to know you and, and since, since we started the podcast, it's, it's, it's so evident that you have been able to combine your love for uh, the traditional architecture, but also combining it with the culture of, of your firm and, and the people that work in the space. Can you talk a little bit about how that transition took place and, and, and how you took it from what we all knew from decades ago for, to where we are now and, and where we're sitting in the space? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, one of, one of my loves is the joining together of really modern architecture, which is one of my favorites. Yeah. But I also love historic, um, history and historic architecture as well. And so anytime there's an opportunity to marry the two together and figure out how to find that balance, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great, great moment and very exciting piece of work for yeah. me personally. Um, and of course, uh, as my company was approaching its 25th year anniversary, um, I was moving toward, I had been moving towards um, expanding the ownership of the business because I had been the sole owner um, for that duration of time. Yeah. But knowing that as you age, you want to be able to move on and do other things and uh, without having to close my doors for business on the day that I retire someday, yeah. I knew that I needed to get in gear the, the idea of um, adding partners and um, 
shedding some of my responsibilities and bringing other people along in the business. So um, as a component with expanding the ownership, I was looking for a, um, a candidate site, if you will, where I could move my company and have it become a new launch pad for this new day, this new yeah. moment, and the next 25 years, if you will. So as we progressed to celebrating our 25 years of um, being in business, we spent most of our energy looking forward versus looking back. Yeah. Um, so that, that whole announcement had a little bit to do with look who we are and what we've, what we've done, but more so about look at where we're going and, and look at what we're doing now. Yeah. So this building, um, in all of my search in the downtown properties, which there's, a, at that time, five, six years ago, there was quite a mix of offerings, you know, mm -hmm. on, on the table. Yeah. And um, this building just seemed to be the perfect candidate for that effort and um, that investment. Yeah. So, uh, uh, I, with one of, one of my new partners that had just come on board, um, he and I formed a new real estate LLC, oh, okay. and uh, it's called Meet at 319 uh, LLC. That is the LLC that purchased this property. So the two of us own the building. Okay. And um, we took it through this entire redevelopment process and wow. um, converted it from a, a retail men's clothing um, business operations store that it had been for over 50 years yeah. and um, transformed it into this you know professional office environment um, that it is today. And uh, we we had the idea that um, because it's a three-story building and we, with all of our clients, they have become so um, complex and sort of multi-headed, if you will, okay. that most of our projects start with the need to have workshops where we gather the different factions of um, the client makeup yeah. and we, we do all sorts of workshops with them to um, pull ideas from all the different voices that they have okay. and um, bring them to the top, get them on the table, talk about them, and use those ideas as the guiding tools to shape their project with okay. so that they actually own it yeah. at the end of the day. It's not our project, it's their project. Yeah. We are just working for them and serving them and helping them get to where they want to go. And so um, we had been conducting all these workshops off-site, meaning going to their place or oh. always kind of inadequate little conference rooms and yeah. you know we can have anywhere from 15 to 35 people in these workshops and so oh, wow. um, we felt that there was a, a real need to establish that type of a setting in our own home. Yeah. And so now here we are sitting in that environment. This is the first floor of the Essex building yeah. and it fronts to the street and uh, people on the outside can see the activities going on in here. Yeah. When we do have these large workshops, you know, over here on the other side. Um, so it's a, it's a nice way to not only bring folks from the outside into um, the, the business and allow them to see firsthand kind of what's possible, yeah. uh, but uh, additionally, um, folks who walk by just get to develop some curiosity and say, you know, gosh, Look at what architects do. That's kind of interesting, you know. So yeah. it's a it's a nice way to expose in both ways, inside and outside. It really is. And for you l listeners, you're you're probably hearing the uh, the light rail uh, chimes going by as we speak. But you're absolutely right because I've I've walked by the building 
I mean, at this point, uh, probably hundreds of times. And it is, um, it almost makes you feel like you've brought the outside in and the inside out. So yeah, this, this redevelopment is really the, um, the pinnacle of my career, you know, to date. It's not only do I own it personally, but yeah. it's, um, it's a true demonstration of, of all the skills that I've um, accumulated over yeah. the years and a, a, a super expression of my own natural talents and, and interest and passions. You, you hit the nail on the head when you said the inside, the outside is coming inside, you know, and that, yeah. that rings so true on, on all of my projects. If you were to dig down, particularly into some of the more recent um, significant public contracts that we've had, all of our projects are full of daylight and bright and open and they feel fresh, you know, wow. on the inside and the outside. So it's, it's a great modern, um, future-oriented type feeling. Yeah. And um, but this this building particularly, uh, you know, we wanted to develop it also as a mo as a model for uh, to be that demonstration of what we do. And so it is what we call future-proofed. Um, it is a hundred and ten-year-old building that will have a life for another hundred years. We inserted into this building in a seamless and semi-invisible way, um, super technology uh, in that we partnered with Siemens oh, in the wow. redevelopment here. And they were so excited about uh, what we were trying to do with this project um, that they um, decided that they wanted for us to be a beta site for Siemens. Oh, and so um, today that is exactly what we are. All of our building automations um, are super high-level, energy-efficient, and fully integrated. So the lighting, mm -hmm. as we're sitting here now, and the lights have gone off, um, all of the lighting is in motion sensor detection. Okay. Um, but it's also programmed through these little touch pads that you see. We don't have any switches or anything of that sort in the building. Okay. Everything is digital and um, electronically mm -hmm. controlled. And not only can it be controlled at the touch pads that you see locally with, within a given space, but uh, Siemens, in a remote fashion, can um, organize the building and play with it and test drive <laughs> new wow. innovation softwares that they want to take to market. Yeah. So there are days here where <coughs> something goes a little weird and people are going, this doesn't work anymore, and that's down, <laughs> and this is on, and why is that on? And, and Blair, our operations director, everybody sort of carries those comments to her and she funnels them back to Siemens. Uh, because then they have to reset things. Okay. Because sometimes when they're test driving things remotely, they don't know what they are disrupting here. And ah. so there are little disruptions that occur, gotcha. and it's just become a part of the norm that something quirky or weird is always <laughs> happening, but it's because there's a little gremlin on the other side of our systems, yeah. testing and playing elements. Wow. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's really, really an amazing uh, venture for both yeah. Scott and I. But even that probably adds a little to the, the overall culture and feel of your, your, your team and your space. Completely. And, yeah. Completely. It's a very much a part of what makes us super unique. Yeah. Uh, super unique, um, not only locally for sure, but, yeah. but within our industry. Uh, wow. Yeah, wow. Without a doubt. I th don't think that many, many firms of, of our size and, and character shape um, you know, are afforded the opportunity to do such a venture. Yeah. You, know, you might hear of that with the very, very, very large uh, Mongo firms, but mm -hmm. not firms of our character. So That's wonderful. Yeah, it's really well, fun. And speaking a little bit of, about the culture and in doing some, some background information, I, I came across something that you discussed called the 
PSPs, products, services, and processes. And and prior to the, to the podcast, you and I were discussing because one of the things that I found in, in researching it is that I was impressed that while you use it for your processes and your firm, to me it came across as something that, that would be relevant to, to literally anyone listening to this that's in the business community. So would you talk a little bit about the PSPs and kind of how that came about and how, how you utilize that in your day to day? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's really all about the way that we work and the way that we work with our clients. Um, you know, it's, it's been the way the firm has virtually always operated, but we really hadn't put it into a, a, a jingle or a formula yeah. such as that, these yeah. three words, um, until probably about six years ago when, um, you know, I was working with the uh, new upcoming expanded ownership team. Um, they kind of saw it that way and said, let's give this a name. And so that's kind of when that oh, happened. Okay. But it, not that we <coughs> changed anything at that time, we just gave yeah. it a name. So, <laughs> um, but it's really all about the way we engage. And I mentioned earlier um, the um, ex ever expanding need to uh, organize and do these workshops with our clients where we pull them together and help them uh, learn more about who they are yeah. so that we can learn more about who they are and what they're trying to accomplish and um, we have lots of props that we use to do this okay. and it's very it's a very playful time there's always things that they can put in their hands and move around and they're actually designing the building in a way and they don't even know that they're doing it at, wow. while they're doing it and so be it little little blocks that we have that they'll move around on the tabletop or little we call it paper dolls, yeah. little cutouts, and um, we, it gets very exciting for them because so many people, number one, never have the opportunity to really work with an architect and don't yeah. know what architecture is, just like I didn't when I went into the profession. Yeah. Um, but then once they get to experience that, um, it just becomes super exciting, and you can see them in the process of these workshops, uh, the excitement on their face, and they just forget all about kind of who they are and what they do, they just start designing. <laughs> and they don't know, they lose the fear of the fact that I'm not a designer, I can't design, I don't know what I'm doing. They immediately just um, engage in these yeah. activities that we have and um, start putting it on the table. Wow. And the, the coolest thing that comes out of it is that of course we always recap and reveal to them what they've just done. Like look at yourself, look, yeah. look, at, look at your own powers yeah. that you have here and we identify for them the value of what they have provided us, all the little nuggets and jewels that we pick up and then we take and move into the actual design. Wow. And in the time that we get with them in the next round or two, they begin to see their own words coming forward you know, in the building design uh, itself. Yeah. And you'll often hear within the room, one or two of the individuals go, that was my idea. That was my idea. <laughs> and then you know that you know you have success because yeah. they are owning it. And then the minute they walk into the built building yeah. and they really see the reality of what they did that day, moving things around on the table or, or participating in the workshop, in whatever form, um, it's such a such a high spirited moment yeah. because they'll never forget it yeah. you know, for the rest of their life that they had that great um, touch and rub with an architect, which is rare, yeah. and and that they had such a great takeaway from it. 
So yeah. that's what the PSPs are really all about. What, yeah, you mentioned it um, a few seconds ago, but that's exactly what came to mind as you were talking about was creating ownership in a process that, that I may not be able to put my images on paper, I may not be the architect, I may not be the builder, I may not even be the movers that get us into the space, but I still feel like I had ownership yep. in, in what eventually became our space with which to work in. Right. So yeah, it's that ownership aspect of yep. it that's wonderful. And for me, that's that's just super cult, um, super important with everybody that, that I work with in whatever way I work with them. Yeah. Um, so here with um, the office staff, um, you know, if you're working directly with me one-on-one, -on -one, you need to be owning your work. Yeah. You know, I own everything I do. I've always owned everything in my life and um, stand behind it and take it to a level where I'm proud to stand behind it yeah. or, or don't do it. <laughs> and so everybody working with me, I think, knows that they need to step it up and, and own <laughs> what they do. But it's, it's one of those um, elements and energies that I definitely convey to my clients that yeah. um, I'm not the owner of this at the end of the day. You're going to be the owner of it. You know, you're the one spending all your money on it and mm -hmm. you're going to be living in the space. I'm not. Yeah. And we want to make sure it fits you like a glove and it's everything that you want and that it represents um, your business and helps your business function better, whatever type of business it is. And at the end of the day, the, the ultimate result is that it becomes that branding tool for them. Yeah. And that we have captured an essence of their business type, whatever it is, governmental or private. Yeah. Um, but we've captured an element of that and brought identity to it that um, allows them to um, kind of put the building forward or the space forward as who they are. Yeah. And so we, you know, I use the phrase branding, uh, branding by design, and that's really the ultimate goal in, in all of our design efforts here. So I think it's a definitely a differentiator for, for this firm, and it's been um, one of the success indicators for why the clients that do call us call us. Yeah. Uh, we don't we don't just do any project for any client. It's um, our work is becoming more and more specialized as the company. Um, ages and you know yeah. its foundation continues <coughs> to strengthen. We this coming year we will um, we're coming into our 30th year of business and in the world of architecture and design, a 30-year-old business is still a babe in the woods. You yeah. know we still are young and trying to figure out our way. And we'd love to say we have everything ironed out and all the wrinkles you know gone and everything working, <laughs> and it's not the case. So, yeah. um, but you know we. We're, we continue to pay a fresh mind forward, yeah. and um, we stay open for uh, new ideas and thoughts that um, younger staff have here and that they might rub shoulders with or become exposed to on the outside that they want to bring in. So it's a, yeah. it's a fluid environment, and um, we're trying to stay on the edge and out front all the time. Not for the sake of doing it, yeah. but for the, for the sake of uh, bringing better service to our clients and having, you know, the best design possible. That's wonderful. When we do come back in five years, ten years, what do you see in your mind as an architect? What do you see as the future? Wow, what a question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, Boy, this year being one of the strangest years of my life. I was going to sure. say, if I was going to ask you of all years. I yeah. think, you know, <laughs> I think all plans are looking different these days yeah. just because this year in and of itself, um, it has changed everybody's life in ways that no one had even 
imagined yeah. or certainly couldn't have seen coming. Yeah. And it's all happened so abruptly, uh, which anytime there's normally change on the horizon, you can kind of see it and you can mm -hmm. kind of start to put your plan together and work towards it or away from it, whatever way you're imagining you need to go. But in this case, that didn't happen. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, seemingly every component of our world is, is looking different. But clearly, I think that um, the importance of having an architect involved in planning in more levels than just buildings is going to become more prevalent. Gotcha. Um, I think architects naturally, just by virtue of our education and our training and the way we are, we are taught to think very differently than others yeah. through our schooling and, and training, um, that we bring to community boards and municipal groups and city councils uh, the ability to understand how to work through um, needs differently than most people. Yeah. And so I'm very hopeful that um, our voice as a profession will uh, become more present you know, in the yeah. community in, in all sorts of ways. I know that I personally and a few of my partners here are very active in community boards. I have always believed strongly in that, so yeah. that won't be new for me, but um, I'm hoping sort of industry-wide that yeah. we as professionals start to step into a more influential role as planners to help um, get through all sorts of things and COVID no, being no different. Yeah. And in fact, I know that our profession has really stepped in to help with all of the emergency shelter needs and the mm -hmm. hospitals and the um, instantaneous adaptations of buildings that weren't planned to be a recovery center. Yeah. And, you know, that quick yeah. conversion, because we have the skills and we can put it out there yeah. and offer and lead. So that's wonderful. I think, uh, so I'm going to wrap up with a fun, just a fun off the wall thing. In, in doing my research, you said that your dream dinner party would be Albert Einstein, Theodore Roosevelt, and Steve Jobs. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> so mix, my question is, <laughs> who would be the fifth at the table? Woo, my husband. My husband so, I owe so much to. Um, he's such a cheerleader and a supporter, and I yeah. think um, it's not an easy profession, and there's some really high moments and some really low moments, and you really need that cheerleader present when you have the low moments. And That's awesome. He has um, you know, always been there to help me uh, have the strength and the courage to keep going no yeah. matter what. <laughs> That's wonderful. Before we wrap up, I just wanted to make sure for for those who, who do have an interest in, in working with you and your team, um, what is the best way to reach out to you and, and connect with your team? Yep, just call me. Okay. <laughs> I'm super responsive. I respond to emails, Perfect. text, phone, you know, phone calls, um, always available. We, we receive a number of things that come in from the internet and Rachel here will forward them to me. Somebody might yeah. log something on the website. Hi, I'm interested in doing this. Can you, can you call me? So we're very responsive and uh, we always investigate the opportunity. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I have thoroughly enjoyed this. Yeah, uh, me too, I, Tish. I, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to come in and experience this space with you and, and give you an opportunity to reach out to our listeners. So thank you so much for, for your time today. Awesome.